Welcome to the Mindful Leadership Podcast. How do we navigate through all the noise, distractions and pressures to make thoughtful conscious decisions that are better for us, our people, our customers and our organizations? How do we know if we're busy and effective or just too busy to be effective? In this podcast, we talk to leaders who share their stories about challenging existing paradigms and doing different things differently. I'm your host Shahana Banerjee, founder and CEO of Just Human, Not Resources, on a mission to humanize the future of work. In this episode, we talk to my friend and fellow disruptor Katie Keating, founding partner and co-chief creative officer of Fancy, a woman on a mission to break taboos, normalize the normal, moving the cultural needle one stereotype at a time. Katie, welcome, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's it's a great podcast series. I love the idea of thinking about leadership in a mindful way. So thank you thank for you. including me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That means a lot. Well, we're two introverts, right? Mm-hmm. On a podcast, <laughs> trying to get our message out in a very, very extroverted world. This should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's dive right in. You've had an amazing career from working with some of the top companies in the world in the creative space to building the company that you always wanted to work for. Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your story and your journey to get where you are and the people and the influences and experiences that have shaped you. Sure. I was always considered creative, even as a little kid, although that was not always considered a compliment. <laughs> Early teachers would use the word to explain to my parents why I didn't do the assignments the way they were instructed to be done. Um, I was always looking for a different angle or trying to see something that nobody else did. Uh, And I was also a super independent kid. I, I lived in this somewhat rural area near Chicago, and I would deliberately get myself lost in the woods so that I could have the adventure of finding my way back and seeing what I would oh, see I along it. the way. As it turns out, that's a little like making something out of a creative brief. You're like <laughs> lost in the woods and you have to find your way to something meaningful um, out of that. And it was really that ability to try to look at things from other angles is really what's helped me not only as a creative person kind of doing the work of being a copywriter, which is my my background, um, but also in the creativity that's required to build this agency and to do things a little bit differently, well, a lot differently. After I studied psychology in college and I knew I wanted to be in advertising and I knew I could not draw but I wanted to think up ideas. (laughs) And a friend of my family's who, who worked at Leo Burnett explained to me that was a copywriter and, you know, could she share my portfolio with anyone? And I was just like, portfolio? What's a portfolio? What's a portfolio? And went to a school called the Portfolio Center in Atlanta. And that was just the business of advertising. I was moved to New York to seek my fortune. And the deal I had with my parents was I had one month to land a full-time job in New York, or I had to go back to Chicago and, and try it there because they were not going to bankroll my lifestyle in New York City. And, um, and so on like the 20 
sixth day, I got a job and it was a real learning experience. I kind of bounced around moving my way up the ladder and trying different kinds of accounts because I wanted to have the experience of different categories. So when I decided to found Fancy with Erica in 2011, we just knew lots and lots of women in advertising. And we knew lots of women who had left advertising. We started to wonder why that was, thought about it, and we realized they're the crushing hours and the travel and the kind of selfish competitiveness that is intrinsic, especially in the creative department. It's not a very conducive place to like having a life outside of the agency or a family. And of course, there was also you know, the explosion of Me Too. So all of this was happening and we were thinking about all this as we were sort of thinking about starting our agency at the same time. And then I think one of the kind of explosive moments and, and real push to say, you know, let's, let's just do it was when we found from the 3% conference that only 3% of creative directors were women. Oh my and goodness. We, this was 2011, and we could not believe it. And then, you know, we thought back to, well, yeah, look around. Like, there were women when we started, when we were junior. She, Erica's an art director. And like I said, I'm a copywriter. And when we were juniors in the industry, there were other women around. Maybe, maybe not as many as men, but not 3%. And then we realized that they were just peeling off as they got older, as they became more expensive, as they started to have families. Either they realized it themselves and quit and found something else to do, or the agencies pushed them out the door. And then we looked around and we realized that of the 3% that were there, not many of them were older. Wow. And we, I was 40 when we started the agency and Erica was I, 46 or 47. And we realized that it was a matter of time before we would be fired. Didn't matter if we were, how good we were at our jobs, didn't matter what accounts we were working on. And we thought as insane as it seemed to leave what we had been conditioned to believe was a stable job and something that we could hold on to for a long time was really anything but that. So we decided in order to have some kind of control over our careers, we had to leave and start our own agency. We really thought if we're going to do this, let's really do it in a decidedly different way. And we get to now make the rules. All those years of saying, well, if I were in charge, I'd do it this way. <laughs> now, like we couldn't walk away from that opportunity to really do it our own way. And we figured, you know, if we try and it fails, you know, at least we will have tried it and we can go get another big agency job some somewhere. There is such a profound lesson in there for all of us because we all tend to hang on to things longer than we should, right? Out of fear totally. yeah. of what we might lose. And in your case, you almost channel that fear into actually propelling action, right? Where you sort of founded this agency completely in a different mold than what you had been used to. It's fascinating and so inspiring. Yeah, I, I think it's true. That's a really good point that we we do hang on to things because it's kind of like 
you know, the devil, you know, situation. Exactly. I mean, oh I think God. women, women do it a lot. You know, we hang on to relationships and not only um, romantic relationships, but friend relationships yeah. and work situations and, and hairdressers and, and therapists, <laughs> you know, like it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to move on. Um, but when you, when somehow you are able to pull yourself back a little bit and really look objectively at the situation and see like, is this a good thing for me or not? Yeah. Then, you know, the big thing for us too, is realizing that even if it didn't work out, it was going to be okay. Yeah. It was okay that we would, would fail, you know? So, I mean, fortunately we didn't. And so that's all, that's all good. <laughs> I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that decision-making process to actually take that leap. Right. Because I mean, we all get stuck. Right. We all get stuck at that point that, you know, as you're weighing options, the devil, you know, just seems right. <laughs> a lot, you know, better for whatever ridiculous reason. But so tell yeah. us a little bit about how that decision making process was for both of you and how you landed in a place where you said, OK, we've got to do it. Otherwise, we'll regret it. Erica had a friend who was building a new brand and she wanted to have Unilever support this brand and give her the, the backing as a venture. She had come from an R&D background. So she was, you know, creating this, this brand. And it was a, um, one of the first beauty technology devices. And she asked us to help her with advertising. And, and so we did it. And it was really a great assignment for us because there were zero handcuffs. She believed in us and what we could do. And so she didn't really put up any roadblocks and there were no account people and there were no layers upon layers of people. And the product, because it was targeted, it was expensive and it was targeted to women who had wrinkles. So obviously they were older. We just made the advertising we wanted to make that we felt like as creatives in beauty beforehand, we had never been allowed to do because we had never been really allowed to speak frankly to the women who would actually need the product. You know, like we didn't put a 25 year old in the ads. We didn't, you know, we, we really um, wrote it so much from the core of who we were and the project sailed up the, you know, flagpole at Unilever and she got her funding and she said, will you guys be my agency? Her project was not enough to replace our salaries, but it was enough to take the edge off. Erica and I were the main breadwinners for our families. There wasn't zero to fall back on at home. Like we had to make it work. The struggle to, to think about, should we do it? Should we not do it? Was kind of a, this is a gift to have this opportunity. Right. How, how can we not accept it? Yeah. It's a gift and a sign, right? And a sign yeah. and a glimpse of what's possible that you could yeah. do this differently without mm -hmm. all of the layers of bureaucracy right. that, you know, is unfortunate in the creative process. Yes. I mean, I think we also did think from this, how hard could it be to get more of these <laughs> accounts? <laughs> that it turns out is a lot harder. They don't all just show up at the playground, as it turns out. <laughs> 
But that's that's actually a great point because you know as you sort of started on this journey to create the company that you would have always loved to work at, you took a sledgehammer to conventions, right, and yeah. almost used it as a scalpel to remove some of the dysfunction that pervaded the industry. And so, could you talk a little bit about what some of those conventions were, and you know how you really reinvented it in a way that worked for your business? I mean, one of the one of the big things, of course, is that the way advertising had always worked, and for the most part, still works today, is based on full time employees clocking in an obscene amount of hours and helping to drive profit for the agency. We really looked at building and staffing the agency from the point of view of how we would like to work in an agency. We knew that 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 way didn't exist. Like there is almost no kind of part-time in advertising. You could freelance, especially creatives can go in and freelance mostly as a day rate job. So, but that day is 24 hours. As a creative person, you can't just sit down and for 12 hours be thinking up ideas for this brand. You know, it just, (laughs) it doesn't work like that. Either you've got to switch your brain to another project that you're working on, or you have to go take a walk or go get an ice cream cone or go, you know, do, do something. And so we wanted them to build their own schedule. And because pretty much everybody that we work with um, has been in the industry for a while. We know that they know how to manage their time. You know, there are a lot of moms who leave advertising when they have babies and mothers are really efficient with time. They know how to switch gears and they know how to get something done when there's an hour here or an hour there. We wanted to offer that as an opportunity for them to manage their own time. If you are a grown up, I do not need to tell you that you have to work between nine and five. I don't care when people work as long as the work is done and it's done well. And it also allowed women to work in a part-time basis or have as many projects as they as they want to take on. And they don't need to be in the office with us. So way before COVID, we had the policy that no one had to come to the office if they didn't want to. So I think those two things are the biggest disruptions that we made to the way advertising tends to, to operate. It's really so interesting that you were able to draw from your previous experiences of seeing all these women leaving Mm -hmm. and knowing that they were looking for fulfilling work, but but perhaps not quite finding it in what they would love to do normally. Right. Exactly. This resonates with me so much. In our listening labs that we were doing, where we invited people from different walks of life to come and talk to us about their day at work, a lot of people talked about you know, the, how difficult it is to find meaning in their work because of the amount of bureaucracy, the Mm -hmm. layers of approval, the politics, the dysfunction, the non-value added work that they have to deal with. And so seeing the end product of the effort that you put in is not as easy (laughs) as one might think. And so when you ask them as to what is the kind of world of work that they would like to see, they all talked about wanting to do more of what they love and honestly less of what they don't, which is actually what you've created. 
Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, it's funny. It's like, you know, that game telephone that kids play and you sit in a circle and you tell the next person a sentence. And by the time it goes around all the circle, it, the, the last person says it out loud and it's like nothing like what started. And that can be how a creative idea can morph when it has to pass through a million layers right. at the agency and at the client. And everybody has to have a bit of influence and justify their reason for being in the meeting and, you know, all of this stuff. And sometimes it's a, a shadow of its former self. So right. keeping the layers small and empowering people to do their work and to see it through, I think is a really good way to keep the idea pure. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, all these, you know, women who are in your database, who work with you regularly on these projects. What do you think they have gained from being associated with Fancy? Oh, my gosh. I think that for the most part, people really like working with us because we're really supportive. We have everybody's back. We really allow people to do the work that they want to do. We don't micromanage the process. We're very flexible. Like flexibility is really built into our agency as a really core principle. And so we're really understanding. And I think because we're so understanding about people having lives outside of the agency, that people are pretty loyal to us too. And, you know, it's not it's not something that's abused. It's something that's really appreciated. We have a real culture of honesty at the agency. I think that's really interesting because what you're saying is not just flexibility. It is so much more. It's autonomy. Mm -hmm. and it's yes. The ability to be yourself. Yes, that's so true because we hear a lot, especially after COVID, about flexibility and hybrid work environment. And it's not just about the hours and about where you work. It's about a lot more than that. It's not really a lip service at, at Fancy about bring your whole self and be yourself. In creative, especially, the more you are your own person, the better the work product is going to right. be. You know, the more you have outside interests, the better the work is going to right. be. The more you allow yourself to experience the world, to travel, to meet people, to, you know, just kind of sit at a coffee shop and watch the, the way the, the world works. You know, our, our job is to communicate with regular people every day. And if you are isolated in your own, you know, little box, wherever your box is, whether it's in your home or at a cubicle somewhere, you're you're not going to you're not going to end up being good at your job yeah that's such a great point because being in a cubicle doesn't necessarily mean that you are interacting that you're engaging or that you are you yeah. know involved it doesn't mean any of it it's essentially creating the environment for people to seek out yeah. other experiences other people diversity is what makes that you know, difference in terms of innovating or being creative. Yeah. It makes so much sense. So you talked a little bit about, you know, how it landed on your, on the people who work with you, who are part of your network. 
talk a little bit about, you know, what's been the benefit for consumers or for the business in terms of the outcome that, you know, this unique business model was able to produce. For for the, the business and for clients of Fancy, the, the real benefit to them is that they have teams of people who are assembled specifically because of their interest in working on that project and working on that brand. You cannot discount enthusiasm for, for people, especially in, in creative. So I think that's the biggest um, benefit to them. And also because we've been in, in the industry for a long time, we're able to pull together these senior level teams of you know all kinds of departments, whether it's strategy or creative or account management or you know planning or, or any of that stuff, that you might not even be able to pull together if you were at one of the global holding company agencies. You you might meet the senior level person, you know, maybe in the pitch, and then who knows who's doing your work once you award the assignment to the agency. You don't necessarily get the senior people. And so I think that's a real benefit also to them. They really know who they're who they're getting. And then the benefit to the end consumer. I think there's a kind of an, a real honesty in the work that Fancy produces. And I think that really resonates. The fan favorite project um, and client that we have at Fancy that everybody loves is called Lion's Den. And it's a 48 store adult retail chain um, headquartered in the Midwest, but with stores across the country. And that brand was going to probably going to go out of business if they didn't start attracting women to the to come to the stores. The problem was the stores were on the sides of highways, they were rather unappealing and women were not interested in going. So we worked with that client to make Lion's Den a store that was as normal to shop at as the grocery store. And it worked. I'm not sure of the exact um, percentages, but it's something like 80% of the merchandise when we started working with them was for men. Mm-hmm. And now 60% of the merchandise is for women. Wow, and, that's impressive. Yeah, and then we've only been working with them for five years. Lion's Den is, is really doing their part to change the conversation and change the cultural conversation. And we're really happy to be a part of that with them. That's that's a great example. Could you perhaps share an example also about how the access that you have to this unique talent set mm-hmm. helps you in delivering better value for your customers or clients? Sure. Another project that we did recently was for Hair Biology, which is a Procter & Gamble hair care brand that is designed for women over 50. We made sure when we were working on this project that we had women who were over 40 working as creatives, working in front of the camera as the models, uh, working behind the camera, the director was over 40. We worked hard to have people who would have the insight into the consumer's mind that only comes from kind of a lived experience as opposed to just reading about it. Women over 40 are really forgotten about in terms of 
advertising and marketing. And I think a lot of that is because by and large, the people creating the advertising are under 40. And so it was important to us to have that representation of consumer within the creative and production worlds. Could you share a little bit about, you know, this really unique talent that you have access to? How does that actually work? You know, how do people find you or how do you find them? (laughs) We get referred really by word of mouth to people. I'm really not shy on social about what I think the industry is uh, doing or not doing for women. (laughs) And, um, And so that's pretty attractive for some people. We're attracting exactly the kind of people that we want to be working with and for. What is fascinating is that you're building a community. The fact that you are so clear in your messaging about what you stand for is attracting a set of people Mm -hmm. to really be part of that revolution. Yeah. And they want to be, you know, I think one of the things that I love the most is that we get a lot of letters from young women who can't believe that there is an agency like this in advertising. Mm. They'd never heard of something like this. And I mean, I wish we could hire them all. It's something that really shows, I think, how well our message is accepted out in the world and not just by women over 40, by younger women who are going to, I hope, grow up in a way that they aren't fearing aging the way previous generations did. Yeah. Your post last year, I think, went viral on LinkedIn, which was, you know, all about how one in four Americans is a woman over 40. And for some reason, it seemed like a big aha revelation when it's just met. So talk a little bit about why that was such a revelation for people and how that conversation, you know, got started. I think it was such a revelation to people because there is such little representation of women over 40 in popular culture. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. movies and TV and advertising and, and all of, you know, rolling all of media up into one ball that we've been conditioned to think that we are a really small population. We are a really small portion right. of the population and we're not. And, I, you know, it's it's kind of like a larger scale version of as women, we are told to be small individually, to take up less room in the room, to- um, Yes, in conversations. Exactly. And yep. this is like a a larger scale version of that. Once I put that out there, that statistic, people lost their minds. They just couldn't, they just couldn't believe it. And like people were like, are you sure? And then I, you know, explained like, yes, and here's the like, you know, census website that you know, proves out the math and you know, whatever. But it was, I think people felt really, they felt really good about it because they were like, yeah, you know, I Yes, we are a powerful cohort. And you did some research, right? So you did some really fascinating research with, I think, 500 women. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about some of your insights from the research. We interviewed 500 women over 40 because we had this thought in the agency that women weren't being represented and that when they were, it was 
you know, kind of a dated display of, of what a woman over 40 was, you know, let's see what, let's just see what regular women over 40 have to say about it. Well, they were pissed. <laughs> they were totally what the verbatims in the research were, you know, just pages and pages and pages. Once these women were given an opportunity to talk, they couldn't stop talking about, you know, how insulted that they were, how, how left out they felt, how valuable they felt they were themselves. And they couldn't understand why am I not included? I think one of the things that I found that was the most fascinating to me was that over 80% of the women we talked to felt cooler, younger, or sexier than they ever imagined that they would feel at this age. And why, um, why, why do you think that is? So I, I really think that it's because while these women were growing up, advertising is for beauty products and telling you that you need to get rid of your wrinkles. You need to dye your hair. You need to, you know, do whatever you can to not be a woman over 40. All of that is reinforcing this idea that it's, you don't have value when you are over 40. And I think then here are these women who now they are over 40 and they're like, Hey, wait a second. I actually feel pretty great. I, I've been sold this like, awesome. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's all our fault. And I, I say our meaning like media, like advertising and whoever. And so that's a big part of why at Fancy, we really have a mission to portray people properly and the way they feel. Women over 40 don't want to be 25. They want to be really feeling really great who they are. Actually, that's a great point, Katie. If you were to look at the talent pool that you have access to and compare it to the talent pool that you know your organization previously would have had access to, what do you see as the greatest differences between the talent pools? It's people who are passionate to work on each project. Here's an example. One of the things we talk to clients about and you know, when we're describing how we're different than big agencies is there are so many people who are on staff at big agencies. And sometimes you know, accounts come, accounts go. Then when an account leaves, there are people who have nothing to do and they have to have something to do. You can't just give them, they can't just sit there and collect a paycheck while you wait to fill the account with another one. So say you lose a big beer account and then you have a bunch of guys who worked on the beer account and suddenly the diaper account, the baby diaper account has, you know, a new assignment. So they bring all the beer guys to the baby diaper account and everybody's mad because the beer guys are like, oh, why am I working on baby diapers? Yuck. And the baby diaper team is like, these guys have not the first idea about how moms feel about their little newborn or the campaign that we spent two years developing or whatever. And they just think they're going to come in here and like make diapers cool. It doesn't work. But what, with us, we find the people who really want to work on the diaper account. And we find the people who really, really want to work on the beer account when we have a beer account or a wine account or whatever. I think that's, that's a real difference. We aren't just force-fitting square pegs and round holes and whatever is, you know, available and sitting around looking for something to do at the agency. We are really, really specific and mindful about who we're choosing to work on projects. 
that's actually a great point. Can you maybe share an example of how it played out in a particular pitch or a client account where you had access to some really unique talent that you otherwise wouldn't have had? There was a a fashion brand we were talking with and we brought somebody who was a fashion PhD into the into the mix with us. Uh, she had written a, a thesis on festival style. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and we thought she, and she was, she was a really, really instrumental in helping us develop a good strategy for them. And that's one example of somebody that I never worked with, type of person I never worked with at, at a big agency. But that's a fascinating story, right? You wouldn't have had access to somebody who has such a specific and unique skill set. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because of the model that you have now in your company, you're able to actually have access to this talent. Well, and we seek out that kind of talent. Right, too. right. That's, oh, that's, yes. That's the thing I think that helps to make us difference is it's not like, oh, we stumble across somebody, but it's like, we're like, what would be a cool, a cool addition to our team? What would, what would make us have like that next level of thinking on this project? And so we we go out and we seek those people out. Let me ask you a personal question, perhaps, Katie. You know, when you think back on your career with these large companies versus now running your own shop, working with these brands, we all look for meaning at work. How has that been fulfilling for you? So first of all, I'm working on way different accounts now than I did in my past. So it's pretty great to be working on brands that want to push the cultural needle for women like that feels really good but then also just simply to be building my own agency is fulfilling like talk about a creative endeavor it feels really good to be you know learning new things all the time and and pushing myself in ways that I had never done before and I Mm -hmm. knew I, I knew that that was missing when I was at the big agencies that's pretty amazing. What do you think is is the North Star for fancy? What's the difference that you're making in the world? <laughs> we are normalizing the normal for women. We're um, working hard to kind of smash these stigmas and and banish these taboos and make women feel okay about not just okay, actually forget that, like feel great about who they are and the path that they're on and the things that affect them and their desires and all of that. So that's, that's really what feels good to like have that cultural push, um, you know, for women and especially in categories that have been hushed by society for so long and consequently have had really bad advertising forever because (laughs) everybody's afraid to actually talk about what's in the ads. So I think, you know, it's just, it's an opportunity to do good work that makes women feel good. And so um, I think that's, that's kind of the, the purpose of, of the agency. And then for clients, the purpose is for us to help brands that realize the value of marketing to women, but that struggle to do so in a a relevant way and authentic way. So it's both, it's nice to, it's nice to be able to 
you know, have the two prong, the, the benefit for the consumer, the benefit for the client, and then also to create this environment for people to work in a way that feels good for them. So it's really, you know, it's, it's, we always say it's like for brands, for women in the world, that fancy. Where did the name fancy come from? literally out of the sky. I don't know. It just popped into my head. <laughs> Erica and I were bouncing around ideas and we came up with a lot of agency names and it just came. And we were like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> Everybody asks all the time, where did it come from? But but we love it because it's it's fun to put it in front of anything. It always makes you smile. Like, yeah. oh, you know, well, we imagine our clients saying, you know, like, well, sorry, no, I've got to wrap this up. I have to go to a fancy meeting now. <laughs> and we're, oh, I just got a fancy invoice. <laughs> oh, this is great. If you had one piece of advice for our listeners, fellow introverts, <laughs> women, women over 40, what would that be? I think it's definitely to build your network and especially outside of your company. I wish that I had built a stronger network of people on the client side when I was working through these these other big agencies. I think I was really, as you said, I'm an introvert. I think I was really just kind of too shy. There was not a lot of relationship building for from the, with the creative between the creatives and and the clients. And I wish I had pushed for more of that because I actually really enjoy it. And another thing I think is really good for people to know is that people want you to succeed. That's one of the things that's been so nice about all the the people that I've met through Fancy and the events that I've attended and everything. People really want Fancy to succeed. You know, women who work in the industry, women who don't, anybody, you can ask any, or I can, and I feel, and I do ask lots of people for advice and, and people are very willing to give it. They want to help. People want to help other people and they just need to be asked. Right. I'm I'm happy to help people, um, you know, in any way that I can. And, and likewise, people are happy to help, to help me and to help fancy. That is such great advice because often I think we stop ourselves from asking. We never yeah. take the chance to actually ask that, you know, well, ask for help. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody will say no, and that's fine. Right. Thank you so much, Katie. This has been really so much fun. You know, you are an inspiration with the kind of organizations that you have built that, you know, many of us would love to work at. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. It's been it's been fun to talk about it and to think about fancy in a way that I don't often get a chance to do. Mm-hmm.